You're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Welcome back to the Full Circle Music Show. This is Chris Murphy sitting beside Mr. Seth Mosley. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for being with me today. <laughs> Man, it's my pleasure. It's also a pleasure to have Brown Bannister on the show. Wow, what a legend. Literally created a genre. It is pretty amazing. The genre that I happen to grow up listening to, and probably without knowing it is a big reason why I'm even in music nowadays. If you're not familiar with Brown, he's produced everybody from Amy Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman, CeCe Winans. He's won how many Grammys? How many dubs? 25 dubs and 14 Grammy Awards. What? That sounds impossible, but it's not, because Brown has done it in his storied career. Brown actually had to strengthen the floor joists in his house just to hold all of those in one of the rooms. <laughs> he was telling us about that. That's pretty amazing. I can't wait to listen to it. Also, his daughter, Ellie Holcomb. Fantastic artist. Check her out. One thing that I really took away from this show was his story of working with his daughter on her record and how that brought some redemption to their relationship. So check that out. This is a really powerful episode. Mr. Brown Bannister, thanks for being with us on the Full Circle Music Show. We wanted to have you here because you have you've been been around a time or two here in the industry. Yeah, uh, and I'm 93 years old. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying experience. Me and wise. Ralph Carmichael. <laughs> <laughs> but would just love to hear uh, again, knowing what I know about you. Uh, was this all kind of an experiment when you first sat down as a producer? Uh, what was what was the question that got you behind the boards there? When well, you started? I I mean I I don't know what you want to know. I, you I may wanted... not want to know some of this, but uh, no, really, I I was pre med, mm. so really? I I in college I was oh yeah I'll turn this off. That's I like that be, it's background yeah, music. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I was pre med in college, and I never really even was aware there was a music business. So my, the extent of my music training was some piano lessons okay. and growing up in a Church of Christ where we sang a cappella music. Sure. So you learn to sing harmony. Gotcha. That was it. Yeah. And that's, that's still about how qualified I am <laughs> to do what I'm doing. I don't know about or that. Or do what I've done. But um, no, not really. But um, it, was, uh, it was just kind of a, it was really kind of on the heels of more of a spiritual kind of like wake up call sure. at college i dropped out i ended up through i won't bore you with the details but ended up coming to nashville and just fell in love with nashville and this church down on music row and mm. just i don't know it was just it was an amazing experience just life-wise and it was so amazing i just decided not to be a doctor i was going to like be in social work or just something helping people. I'd worked with inner city kids here. When I went back, I took this aptitude test my parents asked me to take because I was like three and a half years into the pre-med program. So they were like, maybe you ought to like get some input. And when I finished this test, after like three days of testing, they said you should be in some area of music composition. Really? Yeah. That was from your parents? Well, that was... The testing place. Wow. They said, you know, you have, you know, everybody has, they can do lots of things, but that's like the strongest suit. And it was just so absurd to my parents and me. You know, we just like totally wrote it off as a waste of money and sure. time. And 
I went back and majored in mass communications, got jobs, job offers when I graduated a year and a half later and ministry to, you know, an associate pastor and a campus ministry thing. And a friend of mine had moved to Nashville and said, you love Nashville, just come to Nashville. You know, you love the church, you love, you know, we, we can figure out something. I'm like, what am I going to do? He said, well, I'll get you a job at Opryland. And he got me a job at Opryland <laughs> back when they had music. Yep. And I became part of this bluegrass band, had no idea what I was doing, and, you know, playing mandolin and fiddle and bass and guitar, and really didn't know how to play half of those. I'll let you guess which ones. And, <laughs> and you know, then he said, I'm going to get a production deal. And he said, why don't you learn how to engineer? I went to Belmont College. And I was in Belmont College for about, I don't know, a, a few weeks. You know, like, this is a tape machine. This is a microphone. Wow. This is how you plug this in, that kind of sort of basic level. And he got a deal with Word Records and said, hey, the gear's coming out this week. Just come on out. I'm like, I don't know how to engineer. And he said, that's okay, man. We'll just wing it. And, you know, so much yeah. of mu mu being in music is winging it. And um, so, yeah. So we we started. The first thing I did was I engineered this album on this. He was a pop artist who had become a Christian, wanted to make like a faith kind of born again. You know, he'd been born again. He wanted to make a faith album, uh, a guy named B.J. Thomas. And, you know, he'd had tons of number one hits and stuff. And so he's he's coming in. I, I, it happened so fast, it's kind of hard to remember. Sure. But it, it, I got to tell you this little story because it's really funny. So I'm sitting here at the console. I've never been at a console before. And we had a friend of uh, had a friend of uh, Chris's, Kyle Lenning, who you may have heard of Jason Lenning, but yeah, this is his yeah, dad, yeah. and he was a pretty well-known engineer. So he had him come out and get a drum sound and kind of set things up, and I just copied all the settings down on the legal <laughs> pad. Kyle Lenning's recipe for drums and just – Tried to, you know, like recreate. Well, the problem is he had a Rogers set with two toms and Larry London, who was like the the A-list guy, yeah. came in with like four toms. I mean, just like this massive kit. And so I just sort of averaged the mics out and, you know, just sort of like pointed them in the general direction. And <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, so I'm sitting there and here's B.J. Thomas, who, you know, has had hits. He's worked with like, the best, you know, raindrops keep falling on my head, hooked on a field, you know, all those, he's wow. coming from that world. And literally you come in, and you come into this studio <laughs> in a basement and literally you can't stand up in the control room. Wow. And BJ's like six, three, you know, he's wow. tall. And, uh, we had Larry London. We had Joe Osborne who played on bridge over Trouble water. We had Reggie young who played, who came up with a hook on drift away. Dobie gray. Gosh. I mean, this was like, the A-list, and and here I am engineering, and um, quotes, and uh, about 10 minutes in, Larry London, who's this, who was this big guy, he's passed now, but he, he's a big guy and a big presence in the studio, and he, I can't do a, I can't do a Jersey accent, but he kind of had this, you know, accent, and he was like, hey, who's the, who's the engineer, and Brown Bannister, you know, hey, Brown, can you put some, like, 10k or something on the snare it just sounds like shit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and I, I waved at him. The window's here. I leaned my head on the console and said, Lord, what is 10K? <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking wow. about. So I did the whole, you know, pretend to twist the knob and, you know, all that. So that's where I started. And wow. then the second thing, that, the second thing that happened is I was a volunteer youth pastor at my church, and this little girl came up to me and at a retreat and said, hey, I want to play some songs, and can you help me? I know you're going to Belmont. Well, I was sort of going to Belmont, and, you know, could you help me make a tape for my parents? And, and we did, and I took the tape to my friend Chris, who had the production deal, and he called Stan Mosier at Word Records over the phone, played this cassette. Hey, I think we got some here. Okay, sign her. I mean, it was like literally Gosh. nobody met anybody. And uh, that was Amy Grant. And so uh, he turns to me after that phone call and says, hey, you want to produce it? I said, well, I don't know how to produce. He said, you don't know how to engineer. <laughs> <laughs> And we just won a Grammy or whatever, you know, like, you know, it was the first gold record in Christian music, uh, BJ's was. And so anyway, so that kind of started to process. That's what got me into producing. So there's your long answer to a short question. My well, favorite part of that story is, Lord, what is 10K? What is 10K? <laughs> I should make a plaque. Yeah, exactly. But we don't really make plaques these days. So, so did you have any moments when you went home from those sessions <clears> where <throat> like, I've got to go buy a bookstore and figure out some of this stuff? No. In order to- it was going too fast. I mean, he was doing just project after. I mean, it was just, I, I rarely left the studio. Sure. Like, he had a loft. I slept in the loft and all the time. And, and I was... Histori- I was known as uh, I always wore overalls, and you know where they have the you can put the like square pencil yeah, has yeah. a pencil little yeah. deal and overalls. I kept my toothbrush there because I was like <laughs> always at the studio. Wow. So anyway, it was just um, that was my life. Why are you, so why, I didn't why are really you not wearing overalls now. Uh, I moved past that phase. Okay. I have moved past that, that was phase. Like two thousand. Although I still. Mark Nicholas sent me a, after some Mercy Me record we did, I told him, kind of, we were talking about old days, and he did send me a pair of overalls. <laughs> That's awesome. A really great pair, too. So I pull them out on special occasions. I should have done that. <laughs> to go to the dump. <laughs> no, I would have done it to come to this interview if I'd known. Well, that's, that's amazing <clears throat> from my perspective that, okay, we're sitting here in, in a room with a guy who effectively was one of the guys who started a genre of music, mm. contemporary Christian music. And he says, no, we were just winging it. That's pretty amazing to me. And I think for a lot of the listeners out there who are like, okay, before I jump into this music thing, do I have to have all this education and figure it out and know this and know what, how to compress a microphone or how to write a hit song? I'm not hearing you say that at all. No, no. I mean, I wouldn't have minded having some knowledge. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it, I'm not opposed to knowledge. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, so, you know, it would have been great. I think I think all of it's good. You know, whatever path you end up, you know, it's just walking through the open doors. Is, you yeah. know, what's, what's in front of you now? Well, I don't know anybody in music. I don't live in a music town. I don't have an artist I can work with, mm-hmm. or I'm not an artist, or whatever, but I really want to do this. Well, then knowledge is probably good, you know? Yeah. Because it's more, it's more about... Uh, who you meet and what doors that opens and what it le- what what each thing leads to. It's sure. more about that, as you you guys know too. You know, yeah, sure. How long was it when you were uh, pushed in there? <clears throat> um, 
to the fact, how long was it from the starting point when you first walked in there and started, quote unquote, engineering yeah. and producing until you felt competent at it? Uh, let's see. That was 1976 or seven. I can't remember. Six or I think it was 1976. When did I feel competent? I, I don't know. I think, honestly, uh, I think about five years into, uh, four years into it, I, I literally lived in that studio, and then I got an opportunity to produce this girl, Debbie Boone. And um, I don't know why I wanted to do it, but I thought, man, she lives in L.A. Maybe I should go to L.A. And um, I ended up going to L.A., and I got the name of, somebody out there that uh, was a young kind of like beginning engineer, but supposed to be good. He'd entered, he had um, apprenticed with Bill Schnee and who's like one of the classic, mm -hmm. like amazing sort of heroes of engineering. And uh, his name was Jack Joseph Puig. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of working out of this studio called Martin Sound. And so I talked to him, and he kind of hooked me up with musicians there. And and really, when I walked into the control room and he was getting drum sounds, two things happened. <clears throat> he's a Spaniard, and I don't know if you ever met him or whatever. I he's he's quite quite the personality. Yeah. He's, he's really, really funny. Hopefully we can have him on the show sometime. <laughs> yeah, you might have to go to L.A., though. It's okay. But, yeah, you know, make a trip. I think this setup could travel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, anyway, uh, I walked into the control room, met him, and he was getting sounds and stuff. I walked out to the studio to meet it, introduced myself to a couple of musicians, and came back in. And literally, so I'm walking into the control room. So it's, the door's on the side, and it's like a long console, long Neve console. Mm -hmm. And then you walk right and go behind the console. Well, literally, I walked in, turned right, the door closes, and bam! I mean, this, like, crashing sound, like, on, like over my left shoulder. And I look around, and there's this telephone that's, like, in 100 pieces. Oh, no. Like, oh, and, and literally, I look up kind of wide-eyed, and, and Jack's just kind of like, his hair's like this, and he's kind of like fuming and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, what was that about? He said, man, I just, he, expletive deleted, uh, KM54, the KM54s on the Toms, one of them just keeps, you know, fritzing out. It's not working. Okay. And you're talking and about microphones for, for Yes, for talking this. about a microphone. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. it's like a tube yeah. little pencil mic, you for know, sure. but they're really great mics. And um and I said, So okay. And he said, the owner of the studio said, you know, there's a lot of expensive stuff in here and if you ever get mad and you need to throw something, throw the phone. <laughs> 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 Which I thought I like, and also the part B to that is make sure the producer isn't walking in the door when you throw it. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I went in and I heard, I heard, you, you know, like I mean, he had he had apprenticed under uh, Bill Schnee, who'd done Dire Straits and Boss Gags, and I mean everybody, just like all these amazing sounding recordings. And I walked in and heard the drum sound, and I knew what I'd been doing for four years in the basement of Chris's house, Chris Christian. I knew what I'd been doing, and I walked in and heard this, and I was like, ah, uh. 
I am a producer, not an engineer. <laughs> and uh, I realized at that point, you know, that there really were people who were experts. And this is in the day. This is, you know, it's, it's different today, you know? Sure. Not that there aren't experts, but, you know, just the way you make records, it was totally different. But I, I realized, man, this is, an, this is like a whole new level of engineering. And all the musicians, you know, this was back with Bradshaw racks, guitar players, just bringing in all this incredible equipment and outboard stuff. And, I mean, everything, everything, just not that Nashville wasn't great, but this was pop music. So yeah, sure. it, it, it just raised the bar. And I think at that point, I realized I, I really should focus on producing. So it was kind of that, I felt like it was at that point, I really started transitioning into settling into the fact that I'm a producer. Gotcha. So I need to get comfortable with that. And I think in the last five years, I've gotten comfortable, you know? <laughs> I, that's pretty good. 1977 to 2007-ish? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah 2000, years, maybe two, 2010. So yeah. I'm, I'm hearing you say, never stop learning, never stop oh my, better. Oh, my goodness. You know, I'm joking. I'm joking, like, hey, can I come intern for you? But really, I would love to intern. I would love to, <laughs> because I never, you know, like Jericho, he gets, he gets the opportunity to just be here in the atmosphere. Yeah, sure. I just started, and, like, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. Right. And I never got to be in anybody else's atmosphere. So yeah. there, there's a real sense in, oh, man, I would love to go back and, and, and like, be under people and just support them and watch and listen sure. and learn. It'd be amazing. Well, I, I get the sense nowadays that the magic of apprenticeship has sort of faded away because, yeah. you know, you have your, not to, not to um, attach any negativity to it, but you have your full sales and you have your Berkeley's and your degrees that, that people will come out with those. And, and, what we've kind of sensed is there's almost a little bit of an entitlement thing where, hey, I graduated with this degree. This is what I know. This is what I'm going to teach you. And this is, you know, I'm here to get and not to give as yeah. much yeah. and to learn. I, so. I've seen that same trend. Yeah. You know, and, and um, you know, it's just sort of the reality. It just kind of comes with the, it comes with that turf. Sure. So what would not you... Not that everybody's like that. Sure. Because sure. I have... Uh, you know, the essence of being a producer, as you know, is you're there to serve. It's all about being a servant. It's not about me. It's about the artist. It's about the company, whoever that sort of team of influencers is around sure. the artist. You're there to serve them. So uh, it, it, I, I found that people who, who want to apprentice, who want to start, who want to know how, how do I get from point A to point B and C and so on, uh, the ones that have a servant's heart and are open and teachable and, uh, you know, just there to help, I, I, think, I think those people really win. I think they mm -hmm. tend to go forward. Not yeah. that you can't be Mozart and a genius and, hey, I'm going to, you know, be a bull in a china shop, because there, there's that too. Uh, taking initiative and just being proactive and stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've been doing this 40 years. And it's, man, it's it's not about me. It's not about my career. It's not about my definition of success. It's mm -hmm. like learning what success, how success is defined in the current context and with that artist. 
And then what can I do? You know, it's like, what is a producer? A producer is kind of like a general contractor, kind of like an architect, but you're also a pastor and a friend and, Mm. you know, a social worker and, you know, you're having interventions sometimes. (laughs) And, you know, it's just, it's, there's so many other dimensions to it. So, um, yeah. Gosh. I've always thought that we should have an alternate title called a SPE, a suicide prevention engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Very many that's, times. That's awesome. <laughs> I feel like that we are starting to form a little theme here at the Full yeah. Circle Music Show. Uh, it sent, well, it on like, the second episode. It's, a, it's awesome. pretty great that uh, we've talked to a couple people at yeah. this point. Uh, Seth included, uh, and almost everybody that we talk to talks about that they are a servant to the song or See, to the isn't artist. That, isn't that incredible? Yeah. It's just one of the fundamental truths. Yeah. But I would think, and again, from almost an outsider perspective looking in, that it's almost the opposite of that, that it's all ego really? and it's people fighting their way to make sure that their sound or their feel is heard on the record, whereas what I'm hearing from people who have found great success in the industry yeah. is it's the opposite of the ego. It's the, it's the servant heart that really is the... It can be, yeah. I mean, the, you run across all types, mm. you know? Sure. I mean, there are those that it is... I mean, you just, you just know yeah. it is about them, you know? So sure. uh, it, it just kind of, you know, it just depends on what, yeah. your, what your worldview is. Yeah. And it's, it's a really simple fact that I always go back to is life... Th- life I, go ahead. Wait, wait, on, on that, I think... I think what you're saying, I agree with and resonate with. It's like, I think, I think longevity of relationship and, mm. and in that position comes more easily sure. to those that have that attitude, yes. you know, take that approach. Yeah. Sorry. No, totally. What were you going to say? I was going to say life's too short to work with people that you don't like being in a room with. Wow. That is so true. <laughs> and, and that's what probably 95% of the battle comes down to. Yeah, and especially, I'm glad you said the word longevity because that's that's it. If you wanna, if you wanna be more than a flash in a pan, and and because you can have success the other way, sure. But to have the stick aroundness, if that's yeah. a word, you know. When you it's not that. just longevity, it's uh, it's life in balance yeah. because, uh, I mean, you know, there are tons of people you could, I could point to that. You know, like David Foster is very, I mean, he's very, I mean, he'll, t- it's in his book. Sure. You know? Sure. Hmm. And I, I mean, literally, I have a friend who was second engineering a session and said he walked in and, you know, the line was, is it hot in here or is it my career? Is it just my career? Right. <laughs> that, you know, that was like the. And he was sort of joking and sort of, really. sort of, you know, like, hey, I am hot, you know? <laughs> so, but I think, I think the, you know, sometimes the whole creative pursuit, it seems so important sometimes, you know? It seems so like, you know, like, it's just, it's bigger than life. And especially I've done, you know, all my stuff has been just contemporary Christian music. So you have this other sort of kingdom element, you know, and you feel like you're, you're, you're impacting and you're having, you're, you know, you're sort of creating a culture of influence and change and stuff. And really, <clears throat> that's all good, you know, but if we're going to talk about ministry, my, my one thing it took me about 10 or 12 years to learn was my biggest ministry was to you know, have a good marriage and, mm. you know, 
like be there for my family, which I really wasn't the first 10 to 12 years. Wow. I was just like consumed. And, uh, and it, it, I, so I, when I think of longevity, I'm not talking about just being hired for 40 years. I'm talking about having life in balance mm. and in perspective, keeping things in perspective, which I did very poorly, you know? Sure. Uh, mm. But by God's grace and the fact that my wife found a big enough two by four to get my attention, <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, it's, you know, God, you know, we came around. Well, with building a career and building a family and all of those things happening, happening at the same time, what kind of shift or adjustments did you have to make to make family more of a come home, go home. And honestly, I, I've learned more from like guys like Seth, uh, Ben Chive, Ian Fitchett, you know, just different guys, like sort of the uh, younger generation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel young, but you're young. Sure. Just can, you know, in, in the larger picture. And uh, I, I don't know. It's like I, I feel like there's more of an awareness of that now. You know, just I grew up, you know, when my mom would always do the dishes and sure. always did the housework, sure. you know? And my dad would, after dinner, just, you know, he loved my mom. Yeah. You know, he bought a $2,000 used engraving machine to make a little plaque that said, I love you, baby, and put it above the sink where she wow. was washing the dishes, you know? <laughs> wow. But, you know, it's like a different culture. Now this culture is like there's way more engagement and involvement and kind of awareness of that. So I've learned a lot just just by watching younger guys and prioritize their time. So to me, that's, uh, it's about all you have is 24 hours a, a day. So, True. you know, you should try to rest, you know, because there's probably more creative juice in the fact of getting rest and engaging in life outside the studio than staying there another eight, you know, four or five or six hours, you sure. know, there's, you know, it's just, it's just going to be fresh when you come back. So, there's a lot of wisdom that I've picked up from younger people. I think that there's a, a growing trend and a, and a, a word that I've not heard uh, until the last uh, couple of years, just work-life balance. That phrase Absolutely. Is, a, is a big part of, you know, if you're going to have a, have a career, have some longevity, you have to be able to balance those out or something's going to give. It's going to give. Yeah. It just is. And, um, Yeah. You pay a price somewhere if it's out of balance. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad people are more aware of that because it's just not worth it, man. Life is too short. Yeah, that's you know, true. On your theme, it's yeah. it's just too short not to enjoy all aspects of it. Sure, it, and it is. The, I mean, you touched on a good point that a lot of the times, and what we do is important as as creators and and producers and songwriters and any anybody in music, whether it's behind the scenes. But it's another one of our guests said that there's no there's no such thing as a musical emergency, and I thought that was really cool. It, it, at the end of the day, it's important and music changes lives, but nothing trumps. But I guarantee you, you've you have answered that nine one one call. Yeah, in your career, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you've oh, yeah. you oh, you yeah. you felt like it yeah. before, or somebody has sort of communicated that. Yeah, yeah. but it's really true. Yeah. So and and that's not to to downplay the importance of it, but it is to say that yeah, okay, it's perspective. Put yeah. Everything and in, in, in put everything in perspective, and um, me having a baby recently has done that a lot. And I 
thank God, married a woman who does not put up with bullcrap and will pull out the two-by-four when needed. That's a blessing, man. <laughs> Just count your blessings. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. So... Now, there's got to be some statistic out there that behind every successful man is a is a powerful two by four. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right? Oh there. man! Well, you know, like grow. You know, again, it's sort of the older generation. But when we were first married, when Debbie and I were first married for the first, you know, you know, five to seven years. You know, I was just not home. I just wasn't home much. And, you know, her dad would say, well, you just need to make home a happy place to be. You know, don't complain. You know, be tough. You know, just just hang in there sure. and make it a happy place to be and he'll be home. And then I still didn't come home. You know, it's like, so she was great thinking she was like doing what she was supposed to be soon doing, but you know she got healthy and it's like, wait a minute, that's a bunch of crap, you know, <laughs> that's a bunch of crap. To have a marriage, they have to be two of us, you know. Yeah. And we liked each other, but you yeah. know, it was just. You yeah, told me anyway. a story really recently, and and maybe you don't even want to share this for our listeners, but maybe you do. I just thought it was a very powerful thing for me to sum that whole thing up because you talked about um, i don't know for a lot of listeners out there there's a really talented artist out there named ellie it happens to be your daughter yeah ellie holcomb El ellie holcomb and um do you want do you care to share a little bit of that story and maybe well it really ties into what we were talking about because the the it took me 10 or 12 years to kind of get it wake up get a clue go oh okay all right i gotta i have to make some changes it came honestly you know, most of us that do this job, we're perfectionists. Mm -hmm. You know, you have this perfectionistic thing. Sure. And that's why people hire us. Yeah, that's right. Because you, you just hold the bar really high. And one of my, uh, my, my counselor, when we went through counseling, one of the things she said is you have to, need, you have to learn to lower your expectations. And I'm like, nope, that doesn't work for me. You know, it doesn't work for me. Sure. But now, in perspective, I... I I realize, you know, what what she was saying is, you know, it's it's never going to be a hundred percent. Right. It just it's just the nature of it. Sure. You know, so any artist, any writer, any you know, I, I mean, I can't look at any project and go, well, I got that totally a hundred percent right. Wow. I always see ways it could be better. So it because of that tendency, you're going to always keep trying to make it better, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it did take me a while to sort of, I, I think it was more like turning the Titanic around. And to me, any kind of change, it's not like you're not going to change anything overnight, are you? I mean, it's like it takes time to really change. Yeah, sure. It doesn't yeah. happen quick. So hopefully there's just not a big iceberg, you know, like sure. ahead of you sure. in your, in your yeah. path. <clears throat> so anyway, over the, you know, the next... 10 years, I think I was like learning to kind of like turn, turn it around and, you know, it's painful and hard and all that. Um, and when Ellie went to college, I remember, um, you know, we all stood in the foyer. We have five kids, so Debbie and five kids and Ellie, Ellie's the oldest. So she went to college and we all stood and cried and, mm -hmm. you know, we're in the foyer and, you know, there. We took her to college, and just this big rush. You move her in, came home. I look up to the—I could see her bedroom from 
you know, my bedroom, like through a courtyard and upstairs over a deck, and I, the lights were on. I thought, oh, man, the lights are on, but she's not there. And it was just a really like, whoa, it kind of hit me. Wow. Like, wow, she is like, I know what happened to me when I went to college. I never came home. I mean, I know people come home now, but <clears throat> just yeah. the economy. Sure. <clears throat> so that happened. Then my second one, who's more uh, compliant and and passive and peaceful and just kind of like goes with the flow. Ben, he went to college and it wasn't as big a hoopla and send off and all that. And I came home and I was so excited when he was going to come home six weeks later and a musical emergency came up and I had to be pretty much working the whole weekend. I allowed myself to do that, to be swept into it. And, Afterwards, uh, he, he went back to college. I told my counselor, I said, I am so pissed mm. because I missed. I, I allow myself to. He said, well, just call him. Just call him and say, you know, tell him how you feel. So I called him. It took three voicemails full of, you know, I'm so sorry. I apologize. Forgive me. I hate mm. that we missed. I won't let it happen again. And I love you. And I just hate that I missed it. And. I didn't hear from Ben. Weeks and weeks went by. I finally called him. I said, do you ever get my voicemail? He said, I listen to him every day. Oh, wow. Wow. Like I've listened to it like 60 times or whatever, you know? And I may be exaggerating. may have said 50, but he listened to it over and over again. And so anyway, it's all kind of ties in with the fact that I I missed out on a lot of their growing up years. And, um, Mm -hmm. man, you can't get that back. Sure. Wow. So, so music was sort of that wedge and passion, and uh, even though we had uh, friendly relationships, amicable relationships, I still missed it. So, fast forward, you know, Ellie's thirty. She's been on the road with Drew Holcomb and the neighbors, her husband uh, Drew, and she finally just feels like, man, I've got, I've got something I want to say and want to do. And Drew's like, man. You need. To, I'm firing you from the band. Go do this. <laughs> and and so she asked me to produce it. And I cannot tell you how much joy and laughter, tears of just like happy tears through that whole process there there were, and just sort of a celebration of of God like restoring what the locusts have eaten, hmm. because the thing that kept us apart now you know thirty years. Fast forward thirty, you know, several decades. It it was also the thing that you know, like, like bonded us again and just like brought us back together. Sure. Not that we hadn't gone through healing and stuff, but it was a very healing thing, and um, that's just a testament to the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. just that whole redemptive process. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I just, but I I would encourage anybody that's listening, man. Life, life is life, and. Producing is not life. It's mm-hmm. just it's just a piece of it. Sure, you know. So sure. keep it in balance. Keep it in check. I've got two kids of my own, and my son is nine this year. And it's wow. almost a daily thing with me of thinking like, okay, if he goes to college at eighteen, he's halfway done now. Isn't that and, crazy? And, and it seems like it's so. You think really about that a lot. It's constantly on my on my brain, and so I, I've really upped the uh, the living room wrestle time. I love uh, it. Stuff like that, just because I know that in a few years he's going to have other responsibilities or not want to hang out with dad. Yeah, so those those it moments all are, happens. Yeah. They're precious. 
Yeah. You we know, always... and it's and and the key, you know, people are always saying, What's this how do I do it? What's the key to being successful at it? Just thinking about it. Sure. And having it on your at the forefront of your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, then the it just naturally happens. Yeah. So Absolutely. you're doing the right thing. Yeah. We always tell our daughter, I mean, she's only fourteen months old now, but we always say that you know, if you never want to do anything in life, if you just want to stay home with mom and dad until you're 40, that's okay. <laughs> she won't. She won't. <laughs> but that's what we tell her Tell her right now. So I'm we'll with see. you, man. It goes so fast. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It does seem like it does. And just when you start to get sad about, okay, now they're, the kids are all gone. They have grandkids and, you know, you have grandkids and it's, it's like, yeah. that's the real payoff. Yeah, yeah. How many grandkids? We have four. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, absolutely joining us today, man. I feel like we talked about more philosophically, you know, as opposed to like the ins and outs of music. But well, I I think you you can talk about that stuff, but honestly, we talk a lot about the why behind of you know why you do what you do is a lot more important than the what and the how. That's good. so I think that really, really, at least to me, I learned a lot just by this Absolutely. conversation, and, and I was encouraged uh, just by hearing that from you. So Good. Well, I think whether good. you're a, a seasoned music professional or you saw in iTunes that Brown Bannister is going to be interviewed, or you're, you're new to the music industry and you're trying to, to hear from people that have been there before, that it's so much more than just uh, the, the education uh, or the experience yeah. behind the board or, or yeah. learning how to write a song that so much of it is life. And, yeah. you know, life's what happens when you're making other plans kind of thing. Yeah, and so that's it, good. I, I think this is just as valuable, if not more so, than getting nitty-gritty into what kind of equipment do you use and uh, what, are, what are you really looking forward to as far as the, the future stuff coming down the pike. So that's exactly what this that's good, man. podcast is about. Good. That's good. Then you guys are doing, you're doing good work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So are you, sir. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right. Appreciate it. Good to see you. I appreciate it. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again soon on the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music is. Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast.